I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. You like that? My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go home. Man, that's good stuff right there. I'm proud of my 412 middle school students, my encounter student ministries. I love our young people, don't you? And I love the leadership in this church. I love Pastor Josh, and uh, I love uh, uh, that other guy, Pastor Jared. And um, they're just awesome leaders of our youth. We just thank God that we have them in our church. And I just uh, like what I see happening in our young people. Life change, life change. It's not about just gathering at the church a couple times a week and having a great time. It's about encountering Jesus, being brought face-to-face with Jesus so there is eternal life change. And our leaders are doing that with our young people, and I just thank God for it. Uh, Mr. Alex Acock, sir, would you just stand up and let us look at you? Just stand up and let us look at you real good right back there. And I want you to stay standing now. Miss Minnie Williford, I want you to stand up. Miss Minnie, you stand up. Mr. Alex turned 83. And Miss Minnie turned 84. How about that right there? Man. Thank y'all. Now look, they're, they're young at heart. Matter of fact, uh, Miss Minnie's tried to join this dance team several times. And uh, they won't let me either, Miss Minnie. They won't let me. We're, we're good for just a little while, but we just don't last. You know what I'm saying? But... We just love y'all. And you know what I love about our church? Another thing I love about our church, and look, let me tell you, all churches, I love all churches, and we pray for all churches. But I just love the fact that though we do church a little bit different here, we still got those wise white hairs out there. Amen? Amen. And no hair. And we love y'all. And, and I, I, I'll tell you, I, I am, uh, I'm headed there quick. I'm headed there very quickly, and uh, I just thank God that our church, um, people have said that don't know us that, yeah, they, they, they're all about the young people. Well, they just need to come out here and see that all ages are attracted to what God's doing here, amen, and we just thank the Lord for that, and, and we just praise God for, for all churches today and those churches that are preaching Jesus. On your way out this morning... We're going to hit y'all up for some money on your way out. We, um, we want to help the hurricane victims. And if you didn't come today uh, prepared to give on your way out, that's fine. You can't give in every offering. Every time we pass the plate for something special, you can't uh, always put something in there. We understand that. We don't, we don't want you to even feel that pressure. From time to time, though, you're going to hear about something or you're going to see something like you did the other night when Blended Fellowship was here. How many saw Blended Fellowship? And uh, the Deaf Church, and they came and, and led us in worship. And uh, how do you applaud for the Deaf Church? Because they can't hear this, so you give them that. And so they were here Wednesday night. We took up an offering for them. So we'll take up some special offerings from time to time. And um, we understand you can't give to everything, okay? So don't feel, don't feel that pressure. But we've got some churches uh, down on the coast and some pastors' homes down on the coast that were just destroyed. And so we're just going to um, receive an offering today. Now, as you're leaving, there will be two baskets. They'll be holding two baskets. In the other basket, well, 
I think they did that last night. I think these are in your seat. These little cards, are they in your seat today? Okay, good, good, good. All right, they're in your seat. So, so uh, y'all know what these are. These are our just because cards, and you just go do something for somebody. You just go show some love. Just go be Jesus to somebody and just leave the card. Say, we just want to say, here, take this. And uh, we want you to know we did this just because. Just because we're God's children. Just because we're saved. Just because we're a part of an awesome church that wants to reach out. And we just want to give you this card and say thank you. Thank you so much um, for letting us bless you. Okay? So we'll talk more about that as the message moves along. We're in a sermon series called Giving Life by Giving Christ. Giving Life by Giving Christ. And as a church... We want to answer this question for you. Why do we do what we do the way we do it? Why do we do what we do the way we do it? I think it's really important if you're a part of a church to understand the theological basis for why your church does church the way it does it. Uh, You need a biblical foundation. You You need to be able to give an answer. You need to understand what the core values of this church are that drive it, that drive Whitley Church, that drive the bridge. We are one church with two locations, amen? How many of y'all been to the bridge out there in Goldsboro? Okay, we're one church with two locations. We meet on Thursday night. We're also one church with two softball teams, but that's a whole nother thing. So, so if I were sitting out there where you guys are, I'd wanna know, pastor, when people ask me why we do this or why we do that, How do I answer them? So I want to help you with this sermon series to understand. We're confident. We're confident. The leadership team, the pastoral staff, uh, the office staff, the church board, their wives and children and grandchildren, we're just all very confident about the fact that God has called Whitley Church and the bridge to be life-giving, life-giving. As a matter of fact, every church is called to be life-giving, but God has, we believe, spoken into our heart that this is to be our vision statement, that this is what we are to say when people ask us, what is our vision? Our vision is to be a life-giving church, and you're only life-giving when you give who? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are a life-giving church, and if we... um, uh, communicate that we're a life-giving church, we purport that we're a life-giving church, then it's really important for you to understand the characteristics and the qualities uh, that would cause a church to be described as life-giving. So what we're going to do is talk about a little subtitle that is underneath the main title. The main title is Giving Life by Giving Christ. The subtitle for this sermon series is 10 qualities of a life-giving church, 10 qualities, and we talked about one already. Now, of course, you know we didn't have church last week, and I really missed y'all. Did y'all miss being here? It, didn't it feel just so weird? It just felt so weird, and, uh, uh, but, but, you know, God meets us wherever we are, but I'm glad to see you here today and glad to be back, and I know it's Labor Day weekend. A lot of people are getting that last hoorah out there, so let's pray for their safe travel and that God will get them back safe to us. But the first thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is that to be a life-giving church, first of all, you guys individually have got to be life-giving Christians. I mean, we can't have a life-giving church unless Pharaoh's life-giving, unless you and you and you and you and you and you and you are life-giving. I mean, we can't be 
non-life-giving people individually and then gather on Sunday and suddenly we're a life-giving church. It just doesn't work that way. To be a life-giving church, you have to be a life-giving individual. So what does it mean to be life-giving? The first thing we talked about was this, and this is so important. Life-giving people understand that what they're doing in their spiritual life is not about religion, it is about a mission they've been called on. If you get that, if you understand that, if you ask God to plant that deep in you by the power of his Holy Spirit, and you get this mindset in you that you're on a mission, you're going to wake up every morning with a purpose. You're going to wake up every morning, uh, and you're going to your job, and you know you got to make some money, and you got to pay the bills, and you got to take care of your family, but that isn't your primary reason for existing that day. Your primary reason for existing that day, you understand, because your life-giving is that today I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, and God's going to put me in situations today, and God's going to put me with people today, and God's going to create environments today where I'm going to be able to show that I am a life-giving Christian. I may not be able to preach, but I can show. I may not be able to say it, but I can demonstrate it. If a person is life-giving, they wake up every morning and they say, God, here I am, Use me today. It's like old Isaiah over there when he said, here am I, send me. Every morning, that is the prayer of a life-giving Christian. They understand that they're on a mission. Now, in order to understand what that mission is, you have to understand what Jesus' mission was. So we go to John 10.10. And in John 10.10, Jesus tells us what his mission was. He says, my purpose or my mission in leaving heaven to come to earth, and if I was going to leave heaven and come to earth, I'd sure want to know why, wouldn't you? So Jesus says, the reason I left heaven and came to earth is to, everybody said out loud, give life. Jesus said, the reason I came to the earth is to give life. Then he added a little something on the end of it. And different versions say it in different ways. He says, I came to give life in all its fullness or to the full or uh, life abundantly. And that word to the full or abundantly or in all its fullness means this. The church through the Lord Jesus Christ gives life, but we give a very unique kind of life. Now, let me just... um, tell you that there are organizations in the world today that give life. Uh, the YMCA. The YMCA. The YMCA, uh, how many of y'all go out there and work out? Awesome, man. God bless you. God bless Awesome. Me either. Okay. All right. How many of y'all been thinking about it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love my church. I don't go out there, Pastor. Mm. Um, let me ask this question. How many of y'all exercise? <laughs> okay, all right. Now, going back and forth to the refrigerator, that don't count. Now, how many of y'all exercise? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, say you, let's say you do go to the Y, all right? <laughs> Work with me here. Um, the Y says if you'll come and, and pay a little bit every month, you can come here and have life, have 
probably a better life by, by getting on that treadmill. It, it ain't good while you own it, but when you get off of it, uh, <clears throat> you, have a, you have a better life. You have a healthier life. You, you, have, uh, you feel better. Um, you um, probably going to live longer, all that kind of stuff. And so they give life. They give a kind of life. And then you leave there and you go down to the salad bar. <laughs> Bojangles. I can go to Bojangles now. I want you all to know that. Hey, by the way, I lost 18 pounds. Get that checkbook out, all right? All right. So, so um, you know, you go to the restaurant. And if you don't eat, how many of y'all know if you don't eat, you will die? So when you go to the restaurant, I'm telling you, get deep preaching in this church. Write, it, write this stuff down. If you don't eat, you will die. <laughs> and so, so we eat stuff to what? Live. And so restaurants, restaurants in a sense, uh, and, and grocery stores and, and uh, uh, these little fruit stands on the side, they got good stuff, don't they? They, in a sense, give life. So we could go on and on. Uh, there, are, there are counseling uh, ministries, and you can be having issues in your life that are making your life uh, less joyful than it should be or could be. So you go to counseling, you sit down, somebody kind of helps you and walks you through some scriptures, talks to you, and you have a better life. And, and so that's a, that's a way. But the church... The church gives a unique kind of life. When Jesus said, I give you life abundantly to the full in all its fullness, he meant two specific things that the church offers that no other organization, no other thing, no other entity offers. And the thing that we offer here at Whitley Church is the most important thing that can be offered in this world. And it is eternal life. Eternal life. The other thing we offer is not only eternal life in heaven, but we offer a supernatural kind of life in this world. So God offers to us supernatural, not natural life, but supernatural life and eternal life. Now, that is why the church ought to be the most important institution in the community. Now, I know when you hear me say that, you think I'm kind of tooting my own horn here and, you know, saying, I'm just saying. There is nowhere a person can go. Now, you can find the Lord anywhere you go. I'm just saying that most people, when they get ready to find God, when they get curious about God, when they get curious about what happens after they die, they decide, I'm going to what? I'm going to just go to church and see what they're saying. And if we're the church we ought to be, they're going to hear life-giving things in everything we do. I mean, all the way from the street to the seat, it ought to be life-giving. I mean, when you drive up on this parking lot, when you walk into the foyer, it ought to be a life-giving energy. It ought to be a life-giving environment. That's why, guys, on Sunday morning and Saturday night and Thursday night at the bridge, whenever you come to church, you need to come into the house of God not to get something. You need to come into the house of God to give something. You need to come to give something. Here's what we do a lot of times. We walk in. We kind of make a beeline for our favorite seating place. 
and we really don't interact with people. We really, you remember Paul and Silas, I think I talked about this last week, when that, when that jail, you know, the doors fell off and the windows fell out and they were free to go and Paul didn't run. Paul didn't run. He was in prison. God shook the prison and, and set Paul free, but he didn't run. Do you remember what Paul did? He stopped and looked around to see who he could give life to. I'm asking you to do this. Now, this is what's going to make us a unique church. This is what's going to make us a different church. When we walk in the doors, and there are going to be times, I understand, when you're going through Hades in your life, and you walk in church, and you're going to be, kind of be carrying a burden. We all go through those times. But it ought not be that way most of the time. It just ought to be that way some of the time. But you need to walk into the house of God every Thursday night, every Saturday night, every Sunday, and you need to be looking for somebody to bless. You need to be looking for somebody to bless. Somebody you can encourage. Somebody you can put your arm around. Don't make it about you. Make it about others. You say, well, what about me? <laughs> well, first of all, the very fact that you asked that question means I need to lay hands on you right after church. But... If that did cross your mind, what about me? You need to understand. It is when you bless others, he pours the most into you. It is when you bless others, he pours the most into your life. So when you come to Whitley Church, scan. Don't hang around your family the most. Don't hang around your friends the most. Don't hang around people you know the most. Find a face you don't know. Find somebody you don't know and walk up to them and go, you know what, you might have been coming for a while, but I don't think we've met or maybe we did and I just can't remember. Can, can you tell me who you are and just connect with somebody? You're also going to see people who are hurting. You're going to see people with their head down. You're going to see people with tears and, and you're going to know it's not tears of joy. They're carrying something. There's a weight on them. They're Listen, it isn't just my job and the staff's job to go up to that person and give life to them. It's everybody's job in this church. It's everybody's job. I love uh, Dino Rizzo's church uh, down in Louisiana. Uh, it's called Healing Place Church. Y'all look that up online, Healing Place Church. Now, we can't name our church that, but we ought to be that. Amen? We ought to be a healing place. We ought to be a place that when people come in the door, they know somebody's going to love on them before they leave. Somebody's going to show some love before they leave. Can we be that kind of church? Will y'all will y'all help me? Will, will you help me? Will you connect on that fact and that truth and that challenge right there? And let's be a life-giving church. Now, the way we ever get them to come here is by being life-giving out there. See, when you're life-giving out there, first of all, they're not expecting you to be life-giving out there. They're expecting you to be like everybody else in the world, dog-eat-dog, dog, you know, and if I have to step on you to get where I need to be, I'll step on you. If I have to lie on you, if I have to do whatever I have to do to get where I want to be, I'll do whatever I have to do to get there. So we got to be it out there. Now, when we're life-giving out there, eventually it's going to come up about why we're like that because that's so odd, do you, do you hear me? Do you, do you believe that's true? I'm telling you, the world I live in and the world I go around in is not a life-giving world. It is give me, give me, give me. I want to sell you something, sell you something, sell you something. Um, you know, bad news, bad news, bad news. Let the church, this is our moment to shine, guys. 
This is our moment to shine in this bad economy and all this stuff that's going on. Right now is our time to let the light shine and let people see Jesus in us and be attracted to that and say, you know what, I've tried all these other wells and they're dry. I've eaten all this other bread and I'm still hungry. I don't know what that person's drinking or eating, but I want me some, amen? And let's give life to the world out here around us. Um, Jesus said, my purpose in coming is to give life in all its fullness. Now, Jesus has ascended into heaven, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose from the dead, was on the earth 40 more days after his resurrection. He was witnessed by over 500 people who saw him after the resurrection. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, and when he ascended into heaven, he sent down to us the power of the Holy Spirit and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we walk in him and trust him and give our lives to him, we are now the what of Christ? The body, exactly. We're the body of Christ. So if Jesus, when he was here in his body, is about giving life, and now he says, now you're my body, if his body gave life, what's this body supposed to do? Give life. We're supposed to do the same thing Jesus did. Look what Jesus said in John 14, 12. John 14, 12. He said, I assure you, and then he said, again, listen up. He said, listen up twice. I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes, and, and the thought there is unique salvation or genuine salvation. See, a lot of people think, well, I believe in Jesus, man. I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, so I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. That's just believing facts. That's just believing history. Have you received the risen Jesus? Have you invited the risen Jesus into your life? Have you experienced the second birth, the new birth? Have you allowed him to wash your sins away? Do you understand without him, you're lost. Without him, um, a lot of churches aren't preaching this these days, but without him, you are headed for eternal damnation in hell. And so uh, without Jesus, we have no hope. And so when you understand that, and when you say, I need Jesus in my life as my personal Lord and Savior, and then you receive Jesus Christ into your life, then you've experienced that second birth. And when you experience that second birth, that is that steadfast believing that he talks about in the second line there. I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes... Not just believes, steadfastly believes in me. He will himself, what? Do the things that I do. And he will do even greater things than these, more in number, because I have left you and I've gone to the Father. Now, people are searching for purpose. People don't know what their mission is. People don't know why they're on this earth. They don't know how they're to behave. They don't know how they're at, how they are to act. That's what the church is for. We're here to tell people this is your mission. This is your purpose. This is what God put you on this earth to do. Uh, the church should be the one place in society where people learn to figure out why they're on the earth and how they are to live. The purpose of the church is to teach people these truths because Christianity is the life God intended every person to live. Every person. 
So when the, when the church gives Christ, when you give Christ out there in your, in your everyday life, you're a life giver, you're giving Christ. Um, you, here, here's what Jesus says you're doing. Look at John 6.35. Now, it says 6.53, but that's backwards. So 6.35, okay? I think that's right. I don't really know which one's right, but it's in John 6. Okay, Jesus replied... I am the what? Bread of what? The bread of life. No one who comes to me will be hungry again. See, he says, when, I feed, when, I, when you eat what I have to offer, you're going to go, that's what I've been looking for. You're going to go, that's it. I've been eating all this other bread, and it ain't it. But that Jesus bread. <laughs> and then he talks about the water. He said, those who believe in me will never thirst again. So the first quality is to be on a mission. We are on a mission to give life. We wake up every morning. The life-giving Christian understands I'm on a mission today. I got to go to my job. I got to do the stuff. I got to go by the post office. I got to go to the grocery store. I got to do all the life stuff. But in that whole process of that day, I'm a life giver. I'm a life giver. Look at the second quality of um, a life-giving Christian that creates a life-giving church. Um, not only is it about a mission, but it is also about a particular kind of lifestyle. A particular kind of lifestyle. It's not about a set of beliefs. Now, I believe in a set of beliefs. I believe every church ought to have a set of beliefs. I believe every church ought to have written out Bible doctrine. We believe in Bible doctrine. If you know anything about me, you know the importance of Bible doctrine in my life. I did a whole sermon series on discernment because I'm very, very um, particular about accuracy in the things we preach and accuracy in the things we teach. That we are saying what God wants us to say. That we are rightly dividing the Word of God. So to be life-giving... Uh, we are to be about a lifestyle. What happens sometimes is that some people think that the only thing the church is for is to teach Bible doctrine or to teach like the background of Deuteronomy or to teach all the details surrounding a dude named Hezekiah. Now let me just say something because if you don't listen to all this, you're going to misunderstand me. All of that's important. If you're going to do a study on the book of Deuteronomy, you need to do a thorough study of the background of that book because when you understand the background of the book of Deuteronomy, then the words on the page have new life to you and new meaning to you, richer and deeper and more accurate. There are actually three questions you need to ask when you're going to study a portion of Scripture, a verse or a passage or whatever. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean to me personally? So when you're going to study a passage of Scripture, you want all that information. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean to me personally? So I'm for all of that. I'm for all of that. We want that. We desire that. As a matter of fact, right now we are working on beefing up the discipleship ministry of this church. But I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear me. The church doesn't primarily exist to teach doctrine. The church does not primarily exist to teach the background of the book of Deuteronomy. The church does not primarily exist to teach the details on some guy named Hezekiah. 
the church exists primarily to teach people why we're on this earth and how we are to live. Why we're on this earth and how we are to live. Let's go to the book of James and let's go to chapter 2 and let's read verses 17 through 18. Now James, uh, of course, the whole Bible, of course, is very straight up, but James was, man, if you didn't want to know what he was thinking, the best thing for you to do was be not ask him. And as a matter of fact, if you were anywhere in his presence, you were going to get what he thought, whether you ask him or not. All right? So James is, is uh, very clear. Verse 17, James says, So you see, is it, it isn't enough just to have faith. Now, what, let's just stop right there, and we'll go back to the Scripture in just a minute. One of the things we preach in this church, and you hear me preach it all the time, is that salvation is not by works. Salvation is by what? Faith. Faith and grace. There is nothing you can do for God to look down and go, hey, man, when you did that, you crossed the line. You get to go to heaven now. A lot of people think God's got these weights in heaven, and he puts your good stuff on one side and your bad stuff on the other side. And if your good stuff is heavier than your bad stuff, you get to go to heaven. But if your bad stuff is heavier than your good stuff, you don't get to go to heaven. That, I don't know what book that's in, but it ain't the Bible. All right? You are, you are not saved by your good works. We know that from many teaching in the Scripture, but one of the clearest illustrations of that is the thief hanging on the cross beside Jesus who had zero good works, zero, no good works at all, but he had what? Faith in Jesus, in who he was. And Jesus said, because of your faith, you will see me in paradise. See, I, I, I had a guy come up to me at the bridge the other week, and he was mad about that. He's mad about that. He said, you're telling me that a person can live like a heathen all their lives and at the last minute humble themselves and ask Jesus into their life and they will be born again into the family of God and they get to go to heaven. Yep, I wouldn't recommend that. Because you never know when that's going to happen. But yeah. Because we're not saved by works. However, the Bible's about to tell you that works are essential. Not to your salvation, but works are essential in proving that there's been a life change in your heart. As a matter of fact, James is going to say here that if you tell me you're saved, you tell me you're a Christian, and I don't see any good works in your life, he said, I have every reason in the world to doubt that you really are saved. All right? Now, I didn't say it. James said it. I'll give you his address after church. I'll give you his email address. James at heaven.com. I'm so witty. All right. James 2.17. So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. How many of y'all know we got to have faith? But it isn't. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is. No faith at all. Look at what he says then. It is. And. Ooh. This is going to be rough on the second service, isn't it? <laughs> Look at verse 18. He says, now some of you may argue, and then he quotes some things he's heard people say. He said, some of you may say, 
well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. I'm like, dude, that was written 2,000 years ago, and that person's grandchildren live now because they're saying the same thing. I hear people say stuff like that all the time. He says, some people have faith and others have good deeds. He said, my response to that is, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I show you my faith through my That is why you are seeing Whitley Church as never before in her history, and we're about to go to an HNL in this whole area. We're going to start demonstrating Jesus as much or even more than we talk about Jesus. Because that is what the world is crying out for, and I believe that is one of the reasons the church is so anemic and so ineffective in reaching their communities for Christ is because we want them to come to our campus so we can preach to them and they ain't coming. We've got to take it to the streets. Thank you, Michael McDonald. Amen? The young people are going, who's that? It's a white-haired guy. That can rock. All right. So, so our church, this is God's call in my life. Are, are y'all hearing me? I'm telling you what God's put in my heart. God is saying to us, he wants to see our faith. He wants the community to see our faith. We have talked about our faith. We've preached about our faith. We will continue to talk about our faith. We will continue to preach about our faith. We will continue to teach about our faith. I mean, I'm doing that right now. But guys, we've got to be life-giving. And I, I, wanted to, I want to say this. Don't be life-giving just when Pastor Jimmy goes, there's a big event going somewhere to be life-giving. Oh, okay, I'll be life-giving for three hours. No, no. You are life-giving 24-7. As a matter of fact, wives, as from this point on, every time your husband gets an attitude, you can look at him and go, that's not (laughs) life-giving. You're not being life-giving, pastor said. And guys, here's what you can do. Take it. Being Jesus to others reveals our faith. We're to live out a certain lifestyle by acting on the word. Acting on the word. Not just hearing it and understanding it and saying yeah and amen and knowing all the Greek and all the stuff. That's wonderful. I'm not against any of that. But then we got to do something. Look at James 1.22. This is very, very complex, very deep, very hard to understand. Do what God's teaching says. (laughs) I just don't understand the Bible. You know what, when somebody says that to me, you know what they're saying to me? I just don't read the Bible. (laughs) Do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you are fooling yourselves. 
What does that last part mean? You are fooling yourselves. You're making yourself think you're something spiritually that you're not. When all you do is get his teachings and do nothing, all you do is listen to his teachings and do nothing, then you're deceiving yourself into thinking that this is all God ever expected of me is to be a great person of Bible study. I know churches have got Bible study out the yin-yang. I don't know what that means. That could be wrong for me to even say it. But I think you know what I'm saying. <laughs> they got Bible studies everywhere, and nobody's doing anything with what they're learning. Amen? James 2.22. Now, James got their attention right here because he's talking to a bunch of Hebrews. So he brings up Abraham. And they're like, they're probably, some of them are going, uh, uh, uh. and then when he says Abraham, they go, whoosh. Because they know about Abraham. He says, you remember Abraham, don't you? You see that Abraham's, I love this language. This is the Amplified Bible. I love this language. Listen to this. And this is, a, this is, a, this is almost a vision statement for a church. You see that Abraham's faith was cooperating with his works. Oh, Faith cooperating with works. Faith cooperating with works. Not just faith, not just works. Faith alone is dead. Works alone have nothing to do with getting you closer to God. But when you've believed and received and you walk that out in your everyday life, the Bible says there's no Christian more powerful than that. No Christian more powerful than that. You say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm very spiritual. Well, if you had to tell us, probably, mm. plus, being spiritual, it's in what you do. Spiritual is in what you do. I mean outside the church. He says, you see that Abraham's faith was cooperating with his works, and his faith, I love this language, look at this, was completed and reached in its supreme expression. Wow. So what is the supreme expression of a Christian? The supreme expression of a Christian is when he believes and walks that out. When he believes and it comes out in his hands and feet. When he believes and receives Jesus into his life as Lord and Savior and then walks it out in his community and in his church and at his work and on vacation. He says, and you might not be able to read the real light part there. I should have had um, our people do that a little bit darker there. But it says, reached its supreme expression when he implemented it. So his faith reached his supreme uh, expression when he acted on it, when he obeyed it by good works. Now, how did he do that? It says, which was his willingness to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. I think that's a personal note I put there. Um, so he's talking there about Isaac. Now, you remember that story where Abraham said, I believe God, I trust God, I'm a man of God. I believe God, I trust God, I'm a man of God. I, you know, I want to be with God and learn from God. I want God to teach me. And so, so I mean, Abraham was, was uh, um, the friend of God, and, and uh, you know, it was from Abraham that the Jewish nation came about, and all of that. So Abraham is a man of God, the friend of God. So then God asks him to walk out his faith, and he tells him to take his little boy up on a mountain and kill him. 
Take your little boy Isaac up on Mount Moriah and offer him to me as a sacrifice. And I can see them on their way up to the top of that mountain that day. And I can just see little Isaac saying, Daddy, where's the ram? Where's the, where's the, the sheep that we'll offer today? Because see, little Isaac had been with his daddy many times when they had offered the sheep and they had offered the, the sacrifice. And there wasn't one today. And I can see Abraham with tears flowing down his face looking at his little boy and going, don't worry about it, God will provide. And Abraham took it all the way and would have taken it to the last part of actually taking the life of the boy. He raised the, the sword. He raised the knife to plunge it into the life of his boy. And God said, stay your hand. He said, I'll provide a sacrifice. See, it wasn't enough about what Abraham proclaimed and what Abraham said and what Abraham learned. It was Abraham walking it out. Walking it out. As it relates to God's purpose for our church, these verses that I've just read to you are of particular importance. We strongly believe in this church that God wants us to be doers of the word. He's called us to demonstrate it. He's called us to demonstrate with hands and feet what's in our heart. He's called us to demonstrate through hands and feet what we've learned from the Word of God. That's why in every sermon, and I tell the guys, and, and we'll have other staff who will be preaching coming up here before too long. You're going to hear our other staff members preach. And look, when our other staff members preach, and Pastor Farrell ain't going to be here, don't you stay home. You come out here and support our whole staff. You come out here and support our whole church. It don't matter who's up here in the pulpit as long as they're preaching the word of God. You need to be here to support your church and support your leadership. Amen, amen. So they're going to be preaching coming up here before too long and Millie and I are going to go to uh, our place at the Cliffs of the Noose. Okay. And uh, uh, um, so, so we're called to demonstrate. And so I asked the guys and I try to do it. It's not enough just to preach. It's important at the end of the sermon to tell people how we're going to apply this. How are we going to walk this out? Now I've proclaimed. Now let me say to you how we're going to walk this out. Some action steps. So you'll not just be hearers and learners and agreeers of the word, but you'll be doers. And I believe really that's one of the things that sets us apart a little bit um, is that we do believe in taking it to the streets. And let me give you um, a couple of quotes, and then I'm going to close this sermon out. Dr. Alfred Adler, Dr. Alfred Adler is a um, psychologist. He's a psychologist. I really don't know if he's a Christian or not. But Dr. Adler holds an interesting theory on individual psychology, and I want you to listen to this. He says this, he says, when dealing with people, trust only in movement. Trust only in movement. Life happens at the level of action. Adler goes on to say, we are not what we say we are, but we are what we do. That is the real key to our heart. Not what we say, but what we actually do. That is the real key to our intentions. That is the real key to our heart. Dr. Adler had discovered what the Word of God teaches. I don't know whether he believes it or not, but he has certainly discovered it. 
And he says that from the viewpoint of psychology that the only real revelation of a person is through that person's actions and behavior. I love that line, trust only in movement. When a person's preaching and preaching and preaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and you have admiration for them, you need to watch them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because what they do is way more important than what they say. James says, faith plus nothing equals nothing. The point is that you can learn theory and doctrine and Bible facts, or you can go to one of these other churches who doesn't say anything about uh, doctrine and Bible uh, facts and doesn't really put any emphasis on learning. Everything at that church is about emotion and, and spiritual experiences, some kind of experience. James says it doesn't matter which way you go, if you're not a doer of the word, then it doesn't count. I know churches that have holy huddles where all they do is Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. I know churches that gather on Sunday and they just have all kinds of emotional stuff and all kinds of loud and the more bizarre it gets, the better church was. And I look at that sometimes and what I see are churches that do a lot of things inside their walls, but they do nothing outside their walls. And I'm not here to be critical of that. I'm just here to tell you, we don't want to be that. We're not going to be that. And you're going to be frustrated in this church if you think that we're going to let you just come and sit soaking sour. Because that's what will happen. When you come to church and sit and soak, eventually you sour. If you don't get out there and give it away. You've got to get out there and give it away. Jesus said that faith that is not accompanied by actions is dead faith. A life-giving church, listen to this statement, a life-giving church is known for its bias toward action, not just information. Are we about the information? You say, definitely, the length of your sermons prove we're all about information. So we're about information. We believe in information. The Bible talks about the foolishness of preaching, the importance of teaching and teaching with accuracy. But James balances this whole thing out by saying all of that's good, but you've got to do it. Do the teachings. Remember that verse? Do the teachings. Listen to this, listen to this quote. Impression without expression leads to depression. Impression, receiving, 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 receiving teaching, receiving worship, receiving prayer, receiving, 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 but you never express will lead you to be depressed because God made you your shape. I love the way in the dance she did the shape. That was cool. She was doing my shape because she was going wailing out there. And so, so. God shaped us, God made us, God formed us. Our frame, the Bible calls it the frame, is made so that you are first impressed, then you express. So we preach in here, then you go out there and walk it out. You go out there and express what we learned in here. If you don't, this writer, this preacher said, 
it will lead to depression. And I think that's true. As a matter of fact, people who battle with depression, I think one thing that can help a lot of people, I'm not saying it helps everybody, and depression is a very complex issue, but I believe a lot of people could be helped if they could just rise up and serve somebody. If they could just rise up out of their depression long enough to go be a blessing somewhere. I think you would feel that cloud kind of begin to lift off of you of depression. Jesus is always our example. Notice this. All through his teachings, like when he's teaching a parable, he he followed up a lot of those with, now go and what? Do likewise. Go and do. Jesus is always saying, go do this. Go do this. He was always telling people to do things. Jesus made it real clear when he said, you can always tell what kind of tree you're looking at by the fruit hanging on the limbs. I don't know why Jesus didn't follow that up with, duh, Jesus said, you can tell a tree, you can tell what kind of tree, what kind a tree is, what kind of tree a tree is, by what it does. If you want to know, you know, I can walk up and go, this is an apple tree, but if there are no apples on it, then you would have to just, you know, have faith that your pastor don't lie to you. So, there's an apple tree, there's no apples on it, so that's a reason to doubt it's an apple tree. Another reason uh, you know, if it's not producing, then it's not a, a fruit tree. If it's not producing apples, it's not an apple tree. Can I just say this out loud? If you're not producing as a Christian, there's a good chance you're not a... <clears throat> Jesus said if you're a Christian, you're going to have fruit on you. So if, if I tell you that's an apple tree and, and it doesn't have the apples on it, there are three possibilities. Number one, it's not an apple tree. Number two, it's not a healthy tree. Or number three, it's dead. And from the looks of that tree, <clears throat> it's very pretty, but I think it's dead. All right. So the Bible teaches us that a person who isn't bearing fruit, who isn't, who isn't first of all, experiencing change in their own behavior, and then leading others to experience change in their life, may, that person may not be a Christian. I mean, I'm not saying a weak Christian. I'm saying there's a possibility you never really experienced the new birth. If you're always upset when we're asking for volunteers, if you're always upset when we're asking for you to serve, if you say, I'll be glad when they get over that so they can just get to the music or get to the video or get to the preaching or, or at least get to the funny part of the preaching, uh, you know, if you're always frustrated when we're asking you to serve, the Bible says you need to really go back to the beginning and say, did I really have an experience with God? Because if I really accepted Jesus into my life and I really had a born-again experience with God, then, Paul, then James says, and all through the Bible, not just James, but all through the Bible, he says there's going to be a want-to in you to be a blessing to other people. And if you don't have a want-to in you to be a blessing to other people, something's wrong, man. And what's wrong could be that you never knew him. The Christian life is not a matter of creed or conviction. It is a matter of character and conduct. Being a life-giving Christian, life-giving church is more than just a set of beliefs. It's action. It's a mission. It's a lifestyle. Regardless of what we say we believe, it is how we act that shows what we really believe. Too many Christians and too many churches today talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. 
And I want to say to you that there's nothing more damaging to the propagation of the gospel than Christians who talk it and don't walk it. There's nothing more damaging to the work of God. I heard a story about a native who came into a village and he looked at the missionary of that village and he said, I want to know what you teach. And the missionary said back to the native, he said, have you ever heard the gospel? He said, no, sir, I've never heard it. I met a missionary before I learned your language. I met a missionary who tried to tell me the gospel, but I could not, I could not understand what he was saying. So I never heard the gospel, but I saw it. I saw the gospel. He said, because that missionary lived out what he could not communicate to me in words. He lived it out in his life, so I'd never heard it, but I saw it. And now I've run into you, having learned your language, and I would like to hear the gospel. I wonder if Spanish-speaking people who come into our audience and can't understand anything we say or sing, I wonder if they see the gospel. I wonder if they see the gospel and how you treat them. I wonder if they see the gospel and how a white man treats a black man in this church. I wonder if they see the gospel in your expression of welcome to them, even though they didn't understand welcome. They see the life-giving. They they see the joy. They see Jesus in us. I wonder if people see the gospel in us. Father, thank you for your word today. I receive your word for me today. There may be some people here who feel like I pinched them today a little bit. I pray they understand that I pinch me first. Pinch Pharaoh Hardison first. Because I've been guilty, Lord, of saying, 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 and not doing. I've been guilty of that. Help us walk it out. Help us when we leave this place to be life-giving. Some of us can't make it out of the parking lot without not being life-giving. Give, let somebody back out in front of us. Let somebody pull out ahead of us. Let's just chill out and give some life. And when we go to the restaurant this afternoon, let us give life. Let us look around for that elderly person who struggles. Let us look around for that mother whose husband has been deployed. As she struggles with three little children, let us reach out to her and help her. Maybe we'll even buy somebody's lunch today and give them one of the Just Because cards and walk away, not to receive any glory or praise, but just to show the love of Jesus. Help us, help us express the gospel without words. Help us preach the gospel without using words. That's my prayer today, in Jesus' name. Would you just bow your head for a second? Can I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you received Jesus today as your Savior?
Can you just pray this prayer with me right now? I know some of you maybe are wondering how I want to be a part of this. I want to get involved. I want to be life-giving. But pastor, I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure I don't know him. I've never really asked him into my life. Well, let's do it right now. Right there where you are. Right there where you're sitting. Genuine. Not just repeating words, abracadabra, hocus pocus. It's not magic. But praying from the depths of your soul this prayer. Out loud, everybody together. Dear God, I need you. And the only way I can approach you is through your son, Jesus. So I come in the name of Jesus, who died for me, rose from the dead for me. And Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. I give you my life. No more running. No more excuses. Today's my day. I invite you to take over my life. I repent of every sin I've ever done. I turn my back on sin, self, and Satan. And I turn to Jesus today and receive him as my Savior. I receive the forgiveness of sin. I receive eternal life that can only be given to me by Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're going to have a little silent testimony service right now. You walked in this building today, you weren't sure where you were with God, but you've listened and you've watched and the Word of God has come to you in different forms today, creative arts and music and preaching. And you just prayed that prayer from the depths of your soul, from the depths of your inner man, and you've asked Jesus into your life, and you're going out of here a different person. I want you to lift your hand and say, I'm leaving a different person today. I'm leaving a different person. God bless you. God bless you. The Bible says when people make a decision like that, that there's a big old party in heaven. So let us praise God right here today. Now last night... Last night, we had about six people who raised their hand to receive Christ, and I just looked out today, and it looked like about eight or ten people raised their hand today, so we thank God for that. Now, you've got to build on that, and you, you get discipled, and we, we've got some discipleship things we do on Wednesday evenings, and so you come on back out and, and get discipled and grow in the Lord, and just get in a small group and hook up with some Christians who can help you and strengthen you. If anyone would like special prayer... For any situation in your life, we're going to have our prayer team up here to pray for you this morning. If you're a first-time guest, we'd like for you to pick up the green bag right over here. We have a gift for you right over here. If you raised your hand today that you accepted Christ, then we have a packet for you to pick up over here. Also, some of you might be witnessing to a friend. You might be talking to someone about Jesus, and you'd like to pick up one of the packets over here and just give that to them. It's absolutely free of charge. You can pick that up. We'll be glad to give that to you. God bless you. Have a great day. God bless you.